0: Okay, but before we get into it, I just wanted to take a moment and honor Dean, who's at the back doing sound right now. Dean, give him a round of applause. (laughs) Dean, I just want to thank you for all your hard work and the many ways that you serve in this house. And during worship, I just saw this picture of you hammering in tent pegs around this big, huge tent. And I just felt the Lord say that the work that you do holds up his house, but also your own house. And so he's very thankful for the way that your hard work creates space and room for people to encounter him and encounter his presence in those places that are the holy of holies. So he's very grateful. And so are we because we couldn't experience the Lord in the same way without the work that you do. So we're very grateful. And the Lord is grateful. So give it up for Dean. Thank you, Dean, for what you do. All right, well, I'm Abigail, if you don't know me, and like Nate said, I have the privilege of leading City Youth along with my husband, Sam, and it is fun. We love you guys. It's nice to see lots of you here. Um, and if you didn't know, we're in a series called Love, God, Love, People, and I was so stoked when I heard we were doing this series because we're also that Love, God, Love, People is our vision at City Youth this year. It is awesome. It is awesome. And a couple of the different things that we have been focusing on is obviously loving God and loving people. But we've been talking about how loving God is what we've been created to do. It is the most important thing that we could ever do. But also the most, most important thing we could ever do is to love our neighbor as ourselves. And Jesus tells us that in Matthew 22. And one of the ways that we have been learning to love one another is to hear each other's stories. We've had two terms where our theme has been stories, and we've just listened to one another. We've looked at stories in the Bible. But it's been really cool to get to know one another more. And so I thought tonight, I'm not going to tell you my whole entire story, but I thought I'd just tell you a little bit more about me. that you can love me more. (laughs) Nah, just kidding. But it's cool to get to know people. So Steph, why don't you throw up one of those pictures you can choose. So this is one half of my family. It's a very nice picture. I really actually just want to talk about my family because we just got these photos done. and They're so good. So this is Sam's family, the Edmead's family. You can see us all there, Johnny and his wife Gabby on the left, Anna, Lauren and Rosemary, Sam and I, Ella and Josette, and little baby Judah. So that is half of my family, and they're here in New Zealand in the Bay of Plenty, which is awesome. And Steph, you can flip to the next one. And now this is my family, the Ferguson side. There's Quite a few of us. They're all in Canada, which is sad. Hopefully one day they can all come here too and you guys can meet them. But my older brother, Nick, is holding Jonas on the left, his wife, Caitlin, who's sitting below him, and Kai, who's in the middle. And then I'm the second eldest, which is the favorite. Just none of them are here, so I can say whatever I want. Um, So then Sam and I, and then my sister on the right-hand side with her husband, Alex, they've just had a baby well, about five months ago, his name's Atlas. He's not in this picture, earth side. And then my youngest brother, Jeremiah, is on the very right-hand side. His daughter, Sapphira, is there, and Sapphira's mom, Tabby. So that is my family. Um, Jeremiah is originally from Haiti, and he came to live with us when he was about one. He's been part of the family always. And so I just thought I would show you, because I think it's so fun to get to know people, to get to know their families, and just to see where they come from. And so after this, you can all pull out your family photos and talk to one another and show each other and tell some stories. So really, that's it. Hope you love it. It's awesome. (laughs) So I'm just going to pray, and then we'll get into more talking about loving God and loving people So Lord, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for this place. Thank you that it is your house. Thank you that this is a family who loves you and who loves one another. And God, I just ask tonight that you would speak to each one of us. Holy Spirit, would you open up our heart to just be sensitive to your word. Lord, help me to be sensitive to your word. And I just ask that tonight we would be drawn closer to you. Tonight, Lord, we would understand your love for us better so that we can love those around us even better. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your presence. Amen. So like I said before, loving God is what we have been created to do. Let's go back to Matthew 22 and let's read from the New Living Translation. And I know Morgan and Alan both talked about this in their first message, but I think it's an important verse to go back to. And if you've missed any of the messages in this series, you can find them on our Facebook page or wherever you listen to podcasts. So Matthew 22, Jesus has been asked by a guy who is an expert in the law and says, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus replies in verse 37, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. We get to verse 40. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. God's expectations of humans, of all of humanity, is summed up in those two phrases. Love God and love others. His entire expectation of us as humans. (laughs) Sounds very simple, but as we have been learning, it takes a little bit more. It's a little more complex. So how do we love God? What does it look like? How do we love him? If we're looking at Matthew 22, we have to note that there is an exclusivity when it comes to loving God. Not meaning that some people can love him and some people can't, but it means that when we love God, He must be our first and greatest love, the object of our affection. Have you ever seen any sort of treasure hunting movie or TV show? Um, what comes to my mind is National Treasure. And you have a main character who finds out some secret treasure map, and they become absolutely obsessed with this idea of finding treasure. It consumes their entire life. Their friends, well, often their friends, get sucked in, and then everyone is focused on this treasure. It is all they can think about. It takes up all their time and energy and focus. Is this treasure? It is the object of their affection. Loving God, God Himself must be the object of our affection. In the same way that those treasure hunters go crazy and want to seek after finding this treasure with their whole heart, loving God must be the same for us. We must treasure him above all else. He must become our greatest focus when we love him. We don't bend God to fit our lives. We bend our lives to fit God, to fit his agenda, when we love God and understand how worthy he is, we give him the adoration. That's what it looks like to love God, is to not, not change God to try to fit in just on Monday night when I want him to or for 10 minutes when I'm reading the verse of the day. No, we bend our entire life towards the Lord so that he is the main focus. And when we do that, when we love God, it is actually transformative. Loving God transforms our lives. And when we love God and like truly, actually love Him with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind, it transforms everything. Our mindset and the way we think shifts, our actions, they change. We become sanctified and are actually being formed into God's image. So, why does that happen? I think it is because you become what you behold. You become what you behold. You cannot love God without looking at him, without spending time with him, without having this awe and reverence and just gazing upon him. You cannot love him without getting to know his character and nature and without drinking in the vastness of his power. You cannot love God. Unless you behold him. When we behold the object of our affection, and that object is Jesus, we become more and more like him. A very simple example of this is every time that I do go back to Canada, and I say hi, and I'm having conversation with someone, they often stop, and they laugh. And I say, what are you laughing at? And they say, your accent is ridiculous. I'm like, oh, they think it's some mashup of a Kiwi accent and a Canadian accent, but I don't agree. I think I still sound pretty Canadian. But my accent has changed because I, immer- I am living in New Zealand. I am immersed and surrounded by people who speak with a Kiwi accent and some South Africans. <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> so my accent is transformed because of what I am beholding and listening to. My vocabulary changes because of you guys and how you speak. It is transformed. So that's a very simple example. But we become what we behold, what we spend our time focusing on and what we listen to. So what are you beholding? John fourteen fifteen says, If you love me, keep my commands. Oftentimes, I have read this verse, and I have thought that in order to have a real love for God, I have to keep his commands. That if I'm not keeping them, I'm not loving him. But I think what Jesus is saying here is, when you love me, when you spend time getting to know me, understanding who I am, you will be so deeply affected and transformed by it that you will want to keep my commands. You will desire to keep them. Now, this is something I am constantly learning, and the Holy Spirit is constantly teaching me in. Growing up, I was taught what unconditional love is, and I was very blessed to have a family who loved me with unconditional love. It was something I knew in my head. I learned in church. We were taught about it often. But I never took the time to seek out this God who had unconditional love. I wasn't reading my Bible on a daily basis. I wasn't setting time apart for God. I often had things that were more important than church or connect group or youth that would pop up. And I wasn't surrounded by a Christian community. I was not taking any time to behold God. And so like I said earlier, I was not becoming anything more like him because I was not beholding him. So I started to develop this thinking pattern in my brain, and I, that I had to do a certain amount of good things and keep a certain amount of commands in order to have genuine love for God. I had convinced myself that this was the way it is. God had a, a list, and every time I did something good, he'd write it down and go, that's real love. Yep, yep, that's real love. I felt like if I served in kids' church on a Sunday, I had more real love. If I didn't swear or I helped my mom with the dishes, I had more real love for God. If I had a scripture verse on my Instagram story, I thought, I've got real love for God. Indeed, nothing can compare. I had convinced myself that my love for God was only real if I kept his commands. So for years, I had this mindset, and it was exhausting. It was tiring. If I messed up or made a mistake, I was afraid I was no longer a real Christian. Or that people would think I was no longer a real Christian. And for years I thought that way. It was so, so tiring. And I can't pinpoint the exact day that that turned around for me. But I can look back on my life and see where that shifted over a few months. And what the thing that made me go from, you know, if I love God... I'm going to keep his commands. I have to do all these things to Actually, I want to keep God's commands because I love him. That mind shift took place because I actually began to treasure God. I put him back on the throne of my life and he became the object of my affection. I was going to church on a regular basis. I was reading my Bible on a regular basis, going to youth and connect group and surrounding myself with people who loved the Lord more than I did. I was beholding Him and drinking in the revelation of His character, so I began to become more like him. John Piper says it this way: "Loving Jesus is deep and foundational and transformative. Because you treasure him above all things. And then because of that love, that treasuring of him, you do what he commands. So what does God command? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. And to love your neighbor as yourself. So the more you love God the more you want to keep his commands. And his commands are to love God and to love your neighbor. And when you love your neighbor, you love God more. And then when you love God more, you love people more. And it's just this constant cycle of growing a deeper love for God, the creator of the earth, and the people that he created. It's awesome. So there's endless ways and things that you can do to love the people around you. But tonight I want to look at a specific way that God loved his people through the story of Jonah. So if you've got your Bible, you can flip to the book of Jonah. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but you can do that on your own time. It's only four chapters. But I do want to go through a summary of it because I think it's important that we understand the whole story and the context. So come with me as we Go on this journey through the book of Jonah. (laughs) So Jonah chapter 1. Jonah is in a place called Joppa. And that's in Israel. And God asked him to travel to a place called Nineveh and to preach the word of God there. And now Nineveh was a wicked, wicked place. The people were doing horrible, sinful things. And Jonah was like, nah not going there. No thanks, God. And so Jonah actually decides to run away. And Steph, you can throw up that picture of the map. I just got this little diagram here so that you can see what Jonah was doing, what decision he was making. So he started in Joppa, which is in Israel. And God called him to Nineveh, which you can see not too far away. Nineveh is in present-day Iraq. And Jonah was afraid, and so he changed his mind turned and went the exact opposite way to this place called Tarshish, which is believed to be somewhere in Spain, present-day Spain. So Jonah did the exact opposite of what God asked. And while he was on his journey, he hopped on a boat and was sailing away. The Lord sent a great storm to basically stop the ship. It was so bad that the people on board had to throw everything off because they were afraid that their ship was going to sink. And eventually Jonah realized, uh, oh, yeah, this storm is my fault. Um, He felt convicted, and he knew that, okay, this is because of me. His disobedience affected everyone around him. Sometimes my disobedience affects everyone around me. And our obedience, when we obey God, that blesses us. That blesses the people around us. The men tried to get through the storm, but they couldn't. And so eventually Jonah was like, guys, this is my fault. He owned up to it. He said, throw me overboard because I am disobeying God. So the men threw him overboard and God sends a huge fish to swallow up Jonah. And he's in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So Jonah's now inside the fish, and we get to Jonah chapter 2. And the entire chapter 2 is this prayer that Jonah prays out from the belly of the whale or whatever kind of fish it was. And he says, God, deliver me. Rescue me. Show me your mercy, compassion. I will never turn away from you again, Lord. He says, I commit to you, God. Forgive me of my sin. Jonah is distraught from the separation that he has from God. And he declares his commitment, Lord, if you rescue me from this, I will follow through on what you ask. So then the fish spits up Jonah onto dry land. Doesn't say where, what dry land, but somewhere between Joppa and Tarshish. So he had a long walk back home, I imagine. So then we get to Jonah chapter 3, and God speaks to Jonah again and says, go to Nineveh. And speak the word of the Lord. So Jonah actually obeys and he goes to Nineveh this time. So he would have had an even longer walk back depending on where the fish spat him out to go back to Israel. Then back to Nineveh. Tough. Obey God the first time. So Jonah is in Nineveh and he's telling them the word of the Lord which is basically God says, I'm going to destroy Nineveh because of your sin. And the response from the people of Nineveh, their heart breaks within them. And they begin to mourn over their sin. The king of Nineveh declares a fast and he asks God, please have compassion on us. Turn from your anger, Lord. Show us mercy. Deliver us from your wrath. And the last verse of the chapter, chapter 3, says God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways. He relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he threatened. So that is incredible. An entire nation or city or whatever you want to call it, turns from their evil, wicked ways towards the Lord. Because Jonah obeyed God and brought brought the word. That should be pretty incredible, eh? Jonah should be rejoicing. Lord, thank you. These people now believe in you. They are going to spend eternity in heaven because of your love. But instead, we get to Jonah chapter 4, and Jonah is angry. Let's read verse 1 together. Jonah 4, verse 1. But Jonah, to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, this being that Nineveh was saved. And he became very angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish— I know that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who resents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah knows God is a compassionate God. He wasn't afraid to go to Nineveh because of their wickedness. He was afraid to go to Nineveh because he did not want the people to have mercy and compassion from God. He wanted them to pay for their sins. And so he said, Lord, I was afraid that you would forgive them. So that's why I ran away. Then Jonah, in his anger, goes outside of the city. He sits on the ground and he waits for God to destroy Nineveh which God does not because he says he's going to relent and show mercy. And while Jonah's sitting there um, having a little tantrum, God decides to send this plant. A plant grows up over Jonah and provides shade for him. And the plant's there for one day. The next day, God kills the plant. It's gone. And Jonah is so angry that God took away this plant. He says, I would rather die. He is a drama queen. (laughs) And the book finishes with God saying to Jonah, "Um, hey, man, you cared about this plant, and it was here one day and gone the next. These people of Nineveh are my people, God says. I created them, and I am their God. I care what happens to them and care about the state of their heart. So the story of Jonah, that's a summary of the book of Jonah, and I think it teaches what's been teaching me a lot about how to love God and how to love people. So I've just got three points, and then we'll finish up and get back into some worship. But the first point that this story has been teaching me and hopefully teaching you is that we must keep our hearts unoffendable. Anytime we do any sort of relationship, whether it's us and God or us and another person, there's always room for offense to creep in. Jonah was offended that God chose to forgive Nineveh instead of bringing justice and punishing them for their sin. Something must have happened in Jonah's lifetime for him to feel this way, to be offended that God was showing mercy and forgiveness rather than punishing. Maybe someone did something hurtful to Jonah and they didn't have to pay for it. Maybe they didn't even own up to it. And now God is asking Jonah, go tell Nineveh their sin. And Jonah is afraid that again, the bad guy won't have to pay for their sin. Matthew 11 verse 6, Jesus said, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Sometimes the way God does something or doesn't do something has the potential to bring offense to our heart. Maybe he delays in answering prayer. Maybe he doesn't answer at all. Maybe justice doesn't come or a breakthrough doesn't come. Maybe someone who deserves punishment is actually let off free. Nineveh was wicked and deserved punishment. There's no question about it. But God forgave them. Jonah's response to that was anger and offense, and he hardened his heart. He said, I would rather die than see Nineveh set free. May our response be one that trusts in the Lord, trusts the way that he works, trusts his results, and let that trust cause us to lean closer to God rather than pout and have a tantrum in the desert. When a person offends us, maybe it's not God who offends you, but someone you know, someone who you do life with. Instead of getting offended, seek to understand where they're coming from. One time I heard some wise person, I can't remember who it was, say, instead of being furious, be curious. Ask them questions. Hey, can you tell me what you mean? I don't understand. Hey, when you say that, I feel you're angry at me. Or hey, when you say that, I'm angry at you, but I want to understand. Be unoffendable. Number two, we must completely and constantly check our heart posture all the time. In chapter two, while Jonah was in the belly of the fish, he spends that entire time praying and asking God for mercy and compassion and for God to to shine his light and bring breakthrough. And God does. God delivers Jonah. However, when God extends that same mercy and compassion to Nineveh, Jonah is furious and angry. Jonah had no issue, no issue whatsoever, with God extending grace to himself. But he seemed to have a major issue, and he could not stand when God extended his grace to someone else. Jonah's heart was postured inwardly. He cared about himself. He wanted to be delivered. He wanted Nineveh to be punished. It was all about Jonah. But in order to love people, we must turn our heart towards them and actually rejoice when God shows mercy and compassion. We should actually be praying on behalf of others that God would not bring his wrath down upon them and judgment upon them. But instead that God would extend his mercy and his compassion. Jesus himself prayed and asked God to show mercy and to forgive the very people who tortured him and who killed him. Luke 23, 34, Jesus says, Father, forgive them when he's hanging on the cross, for they do not know what they are doing. These people tortured and killed an innocent man. They, they deserved punishment. But Jesus said, Lord, forgive them. God, show them mercy Don't bring justice. Show them mercy. Jesus' heart was truly postured in a way that he could love other people. And we must check our heart posture. So point number three, and maybe the band can join me again. Love with God's love. We just talked about how God extended mercy to people and compassion, but not only God is required to do that, we are required to love in that same way. John fifteen twelve, Jesus says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. God forgives so many people in the Bible and now who are undeserving of forgiveness. The woman who was caught in adultery, she was caught in the middle of committing sin. And Jesus forgave her. Zacchaeus, who was stealing people's money and cheating them on their taxes, he deserved punishment, but the Lord forgave him. David, who committed adultery and murder, uh, the Lord forgave him as well. Me, I am a sinner, and the Lord has forgiven me. You guys are also sinners, and the Lord has forgiven you. Praise the Lord. We must see how God loves and use it as an example of how we can love others. God shows compassion, so must we. God shows unconditional love, so must we. God is very patient, and we must also be very patient. God keeps no record of wrongs. We shouldn't either. God forgives those who do not deserve forgiveness. And so must we. Forgiveness is actually releasing someone from their punishment, even when they do not acknowledge or apologize for what they have done wrong. We must love others with the same love that God has extended to us. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to be done a little bit early, which is great, because I'm sure there's food at the end. But I wanted to take time and invite you if you wanted prayer over some of these things or if you just want to connect with the Lord again I think it's really important that we take the time when we're talking about loving God and loving people to actually prepare ourselves and get ourselves ready so we can do it so if you recognize you're carrying an offense against God or another person I want to invite you to come up and release that into God's hands and trust him with the outcome. Or maybe you just need the Holy Spirit's help in understanding how to love the people around you better. How to love with God's love. You need some strategies straight from heaven. Then I want to to invite you to create the space. Come up to the front and, and receive from the Lord. I believe he can give us the specifics of what we have to do. Or maybe you're like me. In that exhausting mindset that loving God means keeping a list of commands. I invite you to come, just let Him heal your mind. Let Him show you that there is rest and joy that comes when we actually love Him. There is a delight in keeping His commands. Or just simply come because you want more of God. So I'm gonna pray, and if any of those things apply to you, just I just invite you to come. Let's take the space. Let's worship the Lord. Let's invite him to speak into our lives. So Lord, we thank you for your presence. Thank you that you are a God who loves. Thank you that you first loved so that we could love. God, I just ask for those tonight that are maybe carrying offense or hardness in their heart. Lord, would you speak to them, reveal it to them. Because we know when we get rid of those offenses, we are drawn closer to you. Lord, not only can we receive more of your love, but we can better give your love. Lord, for those who are stuck in that place of, man, I just need to keep his commands. And then I will be good enough. Lord, we just rebuke that in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that your love is unconditional. That there's no strings attached. So God, now we just create a space, Holy Spirit, for you to speak to us. We're not in a rush. Lord, thank you that we just get to experience you and who you are. And Holy Spirit, I ask now that you would heal minds, heal hearts from offense. Lord, draw each one of us closer to you so that we can love you better. We thank you for your presence.